0: Tonight on The Renault Show. Rowan's helping us out with all our doors and what to do if yours is the wrong size. Beaumont Tiles are here to show you how to tile a splashback DIY style, and leading property analyst John Linderman is back to share his insider tips for what on the ground research you need to do before you buy a property. I'll give you three ways to manage your renovation budgets and cooking sensation. Jodie Blight is here to show us some easy recipes to cook during your home makeover. Welcome to The Reno Show. It is after 8pm and it is wine o'clock. Hallelujah. Oh yeah. Rowan and I are actually at Tononi Estate in the amazing Hunter Valley. It's
1: beautiful. It's really, really spectacular.
0: And it's not only spectacular inside this phenomenal house, which if you haven't caught it already, we'll put, pop the link below to the house tour because it is amazing—part heritage, part added on. Yeah, it's a real rambling, rambling, but sympathetic. Oh,
1: it's very nicely done. Very nice. Very
0: done. nicely done. But not only that, we are surrounded, literally, by vineyards,
1: fields of dreams.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: His field's a dream.
0: But in the meantime, we have been absolutely enjoying the most amazing 1813
1: Vidello. It's lovely, really nice. It is
0: really nice. So I was just explaining why we are sampling the local culture where we are at Tononi Estate, um, but we're going to talk about something sort of serious in Renault as well, though. We've been here noticing, one of the things I've noticed about this place is even though part of it's new and part of it is heritage and old, there's great consistency in the doors throughout the property.
1: Talking about door sizes here. Yeah, yeah.
0: great consistency in them. And mm-hmm. there's also a great consistency in the French doors that they've got here and great consistency in the sizes. Yep. So, yep, doors come in different sizes. They
1: do. There are standard sizes for doors. But um,
0: what but if the hole in the wall's not standard?
1: You can make your hole smaller or you can make your door bigger, one of the two. So it's fine because <laughs> doors are made of timber, majority. Yes. All right. I'm sitting back now. So we have the the ability to make doors to any size that we like, but a standard door in a standard house is 2040 by 820. Okay. So 2040 high by 820 wide. Mills. That's millimetres. Yes. Sorry. I should clarify. Chippy. We talk in millimetres. That's right. Um, Having said that you can get other widths of doors. That are classified as standard, so they go 520, 620, 720, 520. 820, Yeah, so you like a cupboard door sign or something on to like go that. Through that. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be for access. Oh. Okay. Like a cupboard door or something like that, perhaps, or uh, a pantry door, something like that.
0: So, so, what would be the smallest door you would ever consider putting on for access, like to a bedroom, or <sighs> you know? Some... I would.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go past. 2040 by 820 millimeters, really.
0: Would you take it down? Because I know sometimes older bathrooms, when I've tried to squish a shower and then a door, yeah, would you get yeah. down to a 720?
1: I tell you what I would be inclined to do there would be to put a recessed sliding door in something like that if you can get away with it because I I just like the space of, of access in and out of a room, especially a bathroom, and if you can get a door in there that is at least a standard size, 820 wide, yeah it actually makes your room look bigger as well.
0: Now, one of the challenges I ran into on my last renovation... Oh, here we go, challenge. Here we go, love a challenge, is my bathroom door wasn't a standard size and it was smaller than a standard size yep. and it was too much smaller to cut down an 820 hollow core. So, my bathroom on my last renovation had an extraordinarily beautiful solid core door on Custom it Custom-made
1: or did you just cut down cut no, down a solid, core, down door. A solid okay. core door
0: but you know that solid core door really set me back yep compared to you can pick up a hollow core door for 28 35 that's right, 40 that's bucks right. yep. whereas my the my solid core door set me back around 160.
1: let's just clarify here as well what is the difference between a solid core and Great a idea. hollow core door okay so for those of you out there that don't know A hollow core door is basically just a sandwich panel of cardboard with a timber frame around it and two um, laminated panels on either side. So it's hollow. It's very light. It has-
0: uh, That's what they use in the movies when they punch a door, isn't it? That's right.
1: Yeah. You thought those guys were tough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's cardboard. It's cardboard. And it has a frame around it, a solid timber frame around it of about Mm -hmm. 50 mil basically, and then also, which we were discussing before, yeah. it has a, a, what we call a lock block in it. So it has a designated side of the door that you can put your lock or your handle onto. Cause
0: okay. we can't screw it into cardboard. Cause you
1: can't screw it into cardboard. All right. So you need to make sure you need to check the sticker. Your door will come with a sticker on the side and it will tell you which side is the hinge side and which side is the lock block side. And it will tell you at what height is The lock block, and normally we place our locks between 900mm and 1100mm. Uh, so, your standard door will probably have the lock block in about okay. that location. So,
0: okay. and a solid core door?
1: Solid core door is as the name suggests, it's solid timber all the way through. Normally, it's just the laminated strips of timber, and they've glued them together and then they put um, two uh, panels on either yep. side. Yeah, okay, so. The benefit of a solid core door is that you can cut that down to any size because it's solid timber all the way through. You can put your lock anywhere you want. You can put your hinge any side you want, okay? Because you're dealing with the Just same, a big slab of timber. A big slab of timber essentially. Hollow core door, different thing. You can trim them but I wouldn't go more than 10 mil off either side and off the top or the bottom. Cause then you start running into problems with the your, cardboard. your back set and the cardboard and stuff like that on your lock. So yeah, if you get a tricky door size, you can either go down the road that Naomi and you buy a, a solid core door and cut it down, or you can get them custom made. If you want a, an architecturally designed door. you can get them made to size, it's a bit tricky. Um, they do now because the, the, the trend now is to have really high ceilings. They yes. do tend to lean towards some taller doors as well. You still get the same width of a door, but they might go to uh 2240, I think yep. to, um, just to, so that your door looks much nicer with a high ceiling as well. So yeah, standard yeah. door sizes,
0: Another thing that's come up though, that we were talking about earlier, is with your front door or your entrance door. Oh, yes. So a lot of the time when you go to a house that's, you know, maybe needing renovating, it might be one you're living in, and they might have those beautiful 70s amber side lights, and maybe the the front door wasn't standard to start with, So in that sort of circumstance, one thing that I like to ask people to do is to consider the door aperture and the side light as one entity. So you don't have to go, oh gosh, I've got to get a door that's exactly the same as this, and I've got to get a side light that's the same as this. Instead, look at the hole in the wall. That's as crudely as I guess I can say it. Look at the hole of the aperture in the wall and say, right, can I get a standard door size and maybe a custom side light yep. put in done by a local glazier? So you can frame up for your door at a standard door size, which will save your fortune and then just get a glazier to put in a toughened side light there.
1: You can also buy if you want to get two leaves as well. So you can get a small leaf on left or right side nice. and then your standard door on the on, and so you, your leaf door is capable of being opened if you want. To get has, in
0: your beautiful, big, comfort. lounge. To get lounge. your big
1: comfort lounge and stuff like that in. Yeah. But you can keep it permanently closed if you want. And then your standard door will just fit in great the, idea into that as well. So, I yeah. like it. Yeah. So a few things to think about your front door will generally always be a solid core door. Um, And if it's
0: not, it really should be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only excuse not to have one really is if you've got a fair bit of glass in it. Um, But there's pros and cons with that as well, because obviously you're putting glass in a door. It's a fairly high traction area. The glass will be safety glass. Yeah. Um, but your security can be affected by that as well. So just bear that in mind. And
0: you know, that's a really interesting point you bring up the amount of times rarely have I seen a hollow call front door, but the amount of times I've seen a back door that's hollow call yeah. or a laundry door that's hollow call and, and realistically from a security perspective, just like the actors can put their yep. fist through it, pretty much anyone else yep. can. So, absolutely, you know, absolutely. definitely a good point to bring up. It's not just your front door. You have lots of entry points mm-hmm. to your property
1: and if you're trimming doors, particularly front doors and back doors and doors that have got um, uh, could potentially be affected by the elements and you've trimmed that door so you've removed whatever sealing sealant is on that door to make it fit the opening really really important that you reseal tops bottoms and sides because the weather will get in there, they'll expand your door and then before it'll you know blow it, it out. it'll blow it out and it'll stick and you'll be...
0: So very important point here, someone might go, might be going, oh, why would I cut down my door? What are you talking about? Why would I trim my door? Oh,
1: of course, because if your door, uh, well, if we're dealing with renovating properties yep. as well, um, often there's a little bit of movement in the property as well. And a good place to show this is another uh, good place to look for yeah. movement in a house. Is door and window frames. So if you uh, measure diagonals across a door frame and they're the same, you know your door frame's square. If they're not,
0: that then, was a pot of gold.
1: Yeah, then you know that that um, it's shifted. It's it's moved, and you might need to trim your door to fit it in that opening so it might be out of square so you might need to plane down one side to get it to fit uniform all the way around or
0: you might have laid some new floor on top of the existing and, and now you can't get your door shut so right. you have to trim it off yeah so anytime you trim a sealed surface you must reseal must that must
1: reseal it particularly 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 if it has access to the elements. like a front door yeah a yep. front door yep.
0: fantastic Get to it, guys! Have Go through your doors. Go have and get a new door. Come and see Tinoni Estate yeah. um, and enjoy the amazingness we have whilst you're planning up your next renovation. Cheers!
2: So now I'm going to teach you how to do a kitchen splashback. Can be really easy. First of all, we're going to clean the area. Wipe down our walls, just with water, get any dust residue, any plaster. Now we need to work out where we start from. And on a job like this, this is really easy. Because this is our only exposed size, we start a full tile from the bench top right here. If it's your first go at DIY tiling, a tile this size is ideal to start with. But today, we're doing a mosaic. But keeping in mind, something like this is going to be a little bit more challenging. Now we get to our PowerPoint. We have to make sure, when we've got exposed wires like this, we have to turn the power off at the switchboard. Now we're going to measure for cuts. What we need to do, firstly, eye up the lines, we're going to make sure we keep these screw holes nice and exposed, so we basically mark above them, just on the outside of them. The same, look at the bottom and the top of the bracket, mark them, and all we do is just measure from there to our level line. Right on the wall. Three ten. Put two mosaic tiles together. Like so. Then using those measurements to mark out the power point on the tiles. Now once we've got that marked, we can go out and cut it. Just score through the netting in the back. This job, we're gonna use Abomastic. It's a pre-mixed adhesive and it's really easy to use. You go down to the staff at Beaumont's and they'll make sure it's the right glue for your job. Put a little bit on the trowel, ready to go. The easiest way of doing it, use the back of the trowel, like so, and get yourself a little bit of bed thickness of glue. Use a 6mm notch trowel, basically cut it back. The type of trowel you use is determined by the size of the tile. As a guide, if you're tiling with mosaics, use a 6 mil notch trowel. Just a little handy hint, on doing a job like this, especially if you've got nice new bench tops, perhaps use a drop sheet. Once again, same process smooth it over, then using the, the notch side, cutting it back. Once you've got to the top, measure it. We go cut it and we put it in. We have this little float. What we do is basically just roll it over there nicely. And what this does, it gives you a nice flat finish for all your mosaics. Push reasonably hard. And don't forget, as you go, wipe it all away. Okay, our glue's dry. It's time to start grouting. Add a little bit of water in the bucket. Small amount, not too much. Just a little bit at the bottom of the bucket. Because we can always mix up some more if we have to. The same amount of powder. It really should stick to the grouter. Just like that. All we do is basically get a little bit on your trowel and massage it into the grout lines. washing off grout for mosaics. All we need to do is squeeze out your sponge and in a circular motion, wash all the grout. Now we have to do our last wash. Grab our sponge, squeeze out the water, and on a 45 degrees, we wipe down. Turn the sponge around and use the other side. Squeeze out your sponge, and then repeat that throughout the whole wall. Silicon time. Squirt him in our internal corners, Just like so. All we use is a smoothing agent, spray it down. Using a paddle pop stick, scrape it back. Sometimes we can get what we call hitchhikers and all you need to do is grab your paddle pop stick and cut them back. Last step, spray some more soothing agent it back with your finger. That gives it a nice smooth finish. For any more hints and tips, download the fact sheet off the Beaumont's website and all the best for any DIY jobs you have at home.
0: One of the things I discuss with my students all the time when they're looking for the right suburbs around the country to renovate in to create wealth is actually some on the ground research. It is absolutely central and so important. Whether it's you doing it yourself or whether you have someone doing it for you on the other side of the country, it is a step that cannot be missed out at any circumstance. So today with me to discuss exactly what on the ground research looks like and what it Tails is leading property analyst John Lindeman so welcome John
3: hi Naomi and welcome everybody okay
0: so on the ground research John a lot of people go what am I doing bringing in sniffer dogs am I just having a coffee what am I doing we've covered previously when we've discussed about the importance of talking to agents on the ground talking to property managers getting a feel from their perspective but not putting a hundred percent of weight into that of what's happening there but what what are the other forms of on the ground research someone can do
3: there's quite a lot you can do yourself. And okay. one of the things is who you ask, because okay. property managers and real estate agents obviously have a vested interest. They have a yes. love of that suburb, which is yes. fine, but you need to get to the nitty gritty of what the suburb actually So what is do I,
0: like. I do? Do I like have coffees? Do I set up date night there? Like, what do I do?
3: What you do is you talk to the local experts, okay. uh, people like the local news agent, um, the local council, people that work in the council, they've got a lot of information. Uh, the policeman will tell you about where the local trouble spots are. One of the best sources of local information is the postman. Uh, track them he down. Be- stuff. They'll tell you which streets to avoid and which streets are, are fine. You can then look at things like you know obvious signs of whether a suburb is go ahead, are the flowers in the gardens well maintained, or yep. are there a Abandoned cars, you know, do people yep. take cars away.
0: burn out on the side of the road. Yes,
3: the track, you know, the skid marks on the road. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, razor
0: wire cool. around <laughs> the fences. No, I'm joking.
3: The things that we need to look for, are, Naomi, they're the things that other people don't see. So you go down the main street of a suburb. Right. On, say, a Saturday morning, okay. and have a look. Are all the, you know, the sidewalks full of cafes, of people wandering around, all the shops open. They're the signs that are good. Then you go back again to that same main street, late on a Saturday night. Now if you notice that all the shops are shuttered and there's no one walking around, that's a very bad sign. Okay. But if there's lots of people walking around, there's restaurants open and so on. This so is you're a,
0: thinking that's yeah. a safety indicator?
3: It's also an indicator of the economic prosperity of the area, and so okay. that's a very easy way. You can do it on a Saturday morning and evening and it'll give you a really good idea.
0: So now one of the things that you heard that I wanna go a bit in bit more depth into, you said go talk to your local council. So from your perspective, what are you asking the local council that's gonna help you uncover, so not about a specific property, but about the area? What sorts of things are you asking your duty officer or the local council that are gonna help you uncover things about the financial prosperity or the, the future prosperity of that suburb?
3: The sorts of things you talk to council about Uh, where are the flood prone areas, they have maps that'll tell you that, which areas are fire prone, you know there could be areas that have suffered from bushfires, which areas are sewered and which aren't because it's very important that you know that and whether or not they have town water because in some areas there simply no town water and so you're living you know out of tank water. So those are the things that the council can tell you and they're not biased so they'll tell you the truth.
0: Fantastic, there's a pile of things there that literally an everyday person that's interested in creating wealth through renovating, so whether it's with an investment property or a flip, that can actually do on the ground in that local area. And remember, if you're wanting to renovate remotely, you can absolutely get someone else on the other side of the country to do this for you. So thanks so much, John, we'll catch you next time.
3: Pleasure, thanks Sammy. thanks everyone.
0: Hey team, Naomi Finlay here, your Rapid Renovation Expert. Today I want to talk to you about the money side of renovating and how to ensure that you manage your budget efficiently during your renovation. If you're already at pick up tools and go stage, then you'd have a pretty detailed budget in place already. But if you don't have a budget set out, please don't jump the gun and get in and start knocking down walls without having one in place. Instead, you first need to look at exactly what your renovation costs are going to be. So once you've got your budget all worked out, how are you going to filter in any changes? What if it turns out that you need to replace some old piping because they're rusted? Or perhaps you decide to extend the splashback all the way to the ceiling. Where's that money going to come from? How are you going to fit that in with the rest of your budget? All of these questions you might actually come across when you get further and further into your renovation project. So. You have to know how to stick to your budget, but at the exact same time, be flexible and go with the flow. How do you do that? Your budget is core to all of your renovation goals being met, and so it's essential that you master that technique. Now, the amount of money that you have to play with will determine the sort of renovation that you're gonna be able to do. If you overstretch your budget, there's a chance that you're gonna end up eating into your profits that you've calculated, which is not a winner. On the other hand, if you understretch it, then you might end up with like, for example, a pizza with no topping. You might end up with a pizza with no topping when your customers or your target market actually want a super supreme with extra sauce and cheese. So here's an example. It turns out on your kitchen, for example, that the splashback tiles are gonna cost $1,000 more than you'd originally set aside. I say that's bad planning. But either way, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna replace them with a more affordable alternative or are you gonna find some extra cash and bite the bullet? My suggestion in this situation is actually looking for a more affordable tile that doesn't jeopardize your overall look. Because remember, if you've decided on a look and you know that your target market wants that and you're aiming to deliver it, by taking the cheese off that pizza, by removing one of those elements, you could actually jeopardize your overall profit. But if you choose that you want to go with those original tiles and you want to spend that extra money out of your budget, then you need to work out where that's going to come from. You need to be able to, in a fluid motion, review and alter your overall budget to make it work. So how do you find that middle ground? Hmm. Great question. That's why I have three steps to keeping my budget in check, and I want to share them with you today. I use these three steps to keep my budget under wraps when I'm renovating. Now, the first thing is breaking down your costs. So. Realistically, there's a real lot of categories and a real lot of elements that cost money when you're renovating. So it can be really easy to get overwhelmed with a bunch of numbers, especially when there's a pile of zeros at the end of them. So what I suggest you do, rather than losing yourself in the numbers, is break it down into the big jobs. And then each of those big jobs, break them down into individual steps within it and budget each of those steps accordingly. So let's have a look at the category of demolition. It's a huge category and some people may say that the numbers next to it can be a bit intimidating. So let's have a think about all the steps involved in it. How much is it going to cost you for your trades to knock down the walls? How much is it going to cost you for the skip bin to remove it? How much is it going to cost you for the skip bin hire and the dumping fees? What's the cost of cleaning the place after the demolition? Is there any asbestos? How much is it going to be costing to have that professionally removed and a hygienist certificate provided? So working out all of these littler steps, you can see that you can better gauge the cost and you can also better track the cost. At each and every one of those steps as you're progressing through your renovation. No longer does it feel like a big and unknown enigma. Now number two, always have a buffer. I say this time and time again, you need to have backup extra cash available. Think about it like this, it's like when you freeze soup. If you pour too much into that jar and you put it in the freezer, without doubt that container will explode and it'll be a nice mess in your freezer. Don't make that same mistake of squeezing everything into one of these renovations and you think your budget can handle it and you leave yourself no breathing room and you burst your budget. Sometimes things just happen that are beyond your control on a renovation site and no matter how much you prepare, no matter how much research you do, no matter how many hours you spent going over that budget in detail and making sure everything went according to your plan, maybe a recent heavy rain has found an old tiny leak in the roof. Or maybe, maybe a random storm has broken a window. This is nothing that you could have planned for and you can't just turn a blind eye to these things. So rather than ripping your hair out and being super distressed about your original budget being blown out of the water, prepare for those unknowns. Renovate with a buffer, a minimum of 15% of your total project costs. So when these unexpected things happen, You can play cool because you have a buffer that you can utilize to make sure everything goes well. Number three, double, triple check your budget. The third step is all about monitoring skills. Unfortunately, budget, you know, it's not a slow cooker. You can't put it on and then set and forget because you've written it down on paper, it doesn't mean that it's set in stone and that it's gonna pan out exactly like that in real life. Instead, I want you to think about your budget like a baby. It needs constant care and attention during the renovation process. So it's all well and good to have a budget but you need to one stick to it and you need to know what's happening in it at worst case scenario week by week on site but I tell you what a lot can happen and you can spend a lot of money on a renovation site in one week so in the heat of things I recommend you attend to your budget day by day making sure that you have everything from council fees tip fees trade fees loan repayments absolutely everything included in there and then that way what you can do is you can make sure using something as simple as a spreadsheet, or you can have a look at the amazing Rapid Renovation Mate that's available to you all. You can track what you'd planned on the expense being, exactly what the expense was, and actually analyze at the same time why the variation is. Number one, it can help you track your trades, track your spend. It can also help you learn a lot more about your renovation process and where you can tighten that up. Now let's face it, You're all looking to renovate to create wealth and so one of the things that's going to help you unbelievably in doing that is having a great idea and a great set of procedures and a great process around managing your budget and all of these things are absolutely essential ingredients in making sure that you come in on time and on budget every single time. Have you ever tried to cook for your family while your home was undergoing a major renovation? It can be a huge challenge. Our resident chef and creator of Hello Table, Jodie Blight, is here to help with her simple and delicious recipes that are ideal for the family whilst renovating. We totally do need to do a it's one a of us sneaking into the cellar. Yes,
1: it's a beautiful That would do
0: so well on social, just going, oh my god, look what we got, Rowan, we got the keys to the cellar! <laughs>
1: if, we had yeah. heaps of, if we had heaps of empty bottles and we could just put like a leg in and yeah. head outside the cellar like, door, we are just surrounded yeah. by bottles in the morning. While we're shooting, okay, I'll be there in five. Oh, I'm
0: going to have a shower.
1: With the, like the drool pad. Gemma,
0: do you have any? Anything- Usually, usually it's like a little fart chair, <laughs> and today you've got a feather couch. I like it. Look at oh, that's a photo. I'm rolling whenever you're good. Oh dear. Hey. So I'm gonna give you a tour of it later. Um, in another episode, I dare say, of.
3: Anyway. <laughs> 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 Tinony?
0: Tinindale? John, stop! Tinoni. Tinoni, t- 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 t-
3: that's it. Okay. Sorry. They're the, also, the things that you need to look for are... Now, I've completely lost track of what I was going to say. Tick! Cheers.
0: Next time on The Renault Show, I'm going to give you the three steps you need to nail your renovation timeline. Rowan is revealing the reasons you need to use a Phillips head or a flathead screwdriver. And I'm hanging out with Bristol Paints to show you the best ways to get rid of mold. Our naturopath, Tammy, is back and revealing the three nutrients you can't live without on a reno site. And leading real estate agent, Mark Campbell, is answering the question, should you provide a building and pest inspection when selling a renovated property? and Money Mindset Coaches back to tell us how to stop holding yourself back from your true renovation success. See you next time. Remember to like and subscribe to our channel to receive weekly renovation and lifestyle inspiration. If you have a question about today's show, leave a comment below and we'll be sure to get straight back to you hey guys have you heard about the amazing new renovation app it is the rapid Renomate app for your phone for iphones and androids and it has just taken renovation to a new level of ease It can track everything from your timelines to your budget, to your paint colors, your supplies and your tradies. It has truly transformed, streamlined and made the renovation process so much easier. If you'd love to get your free app right now, click the link below and download it immediately to your iOS or your Android device. Happy renovating.